The following is a CSPN Media podcast presentation. Hello, welcome to Nerdy School. I'm your host, Don DeLaRente, and I'm joined by my co-host, the Libra icon, Dwayne. What's going on, Dwayne? Not too much. Uh, happy Labor Day to all. Hope y'all are enjoying the extended weekend. So, Dwayne, we're going to talk about some NFL football, as there was a lot of action that went down this week in terms of people securing their bags. So I guess we'll start with Odell Beckham. He was the first one in the frenzy to get paid as he signed a new contract extension with the Giants, a five-year, $95 million contract with 95, excuse me, 40 of that guaranteed. So that makes him the highest paid receiver in the league, of course. Right. um, You know, basically – Odell did everything right. The Giants, you know, came through. They paid him. So everybody's happy on both sides. Win-win for management and the player. Yeah, definitely. Um, it's pretty much had to be done. Otherwise, Dave Gettleman's head would have been on the platter, literally, in New York. Probably would have found it in the meatpacking district or something. So he definitely came through and... Everybody is happy. It's just going to drive the price up now for uh, when Antonio Brown comes around and get paid again. And Julio Jones as well. Exactly. Julio Jones was somewhere clapping. Like, yes, sir. Yes, sir. Get as much as you can guaranteed. Because that's where I start. Is that Your move, Atlanta. (laughs) So next up to get paid was Aaron Rodgers of the Packers. The quarterback signed a four-year, $134 million extension with $100 million guaranteed to shortly become the highest-paid player in the NFL. Well, he still has the title of the offensive player, so yes. they're still bad. Um, but this was pretty much anticipated with all the extensions that were being handed out left and right. So now that we see the... You know, the market value for the best quarterback in the league. It's going to be interesting to see who thinks, uh, which team thinks their quarterback is better than Aaron Rodgers. This is definitely uh, a part of the Kirk Cousins contract. You know, Kirk Cousins got, like, all that money guaranteed. I think, what, $80 million guaranteed or something like that. So, you know, you knew Aaron Rodgers was going to get a considerable amount more than that. So like right. like you said, this is the this is the standard. So everybody else is gonna be pretty much coming in below that. Right. Next up to get paid, Aaron Donald. The Rams shelled out a six year hundred and thirty five million dollar deal with eighty seven million dollars guaranteed. So the Rams have, you know, secured up Todd Gurley, they've secured up Aaron Donald, their best offensive player, their best defensive player. They, you know, loaded up this year in the free agency market to try to win the championship. So now they got all their pieces in place to mm-hmm. at least try to make a, you know, two or three year run at this before they have to pay um, the quarterback. And his name just skips my mind right now. 
Um, yeah, Jared Goff. So, you know, you know, good deal for the Rams. You know, they definitely needed to make sure they had Donald on the field uh, to start the season. And uh, so they got him. They got him signed. And I think this is a good deal for them and the uh, player as well. Right. So because with the extension now with with uh, Aaron Donald, you lock up your top defensive player. You got a solid line up at the front with uh, Donald and Sue. And and now you got to work on, you got Todd Gurley locked in. So you got the core of the team there on both sides of the ball. And now um, when Derek Goff plays out the rookie contract, uh, we're going to see what's going to happen next. Um, I really like the fact that there is no, uh, you know, there was no, um, Precedent for this contract for Aaron Donald, and he definitely set the benchmark, even though it's for a short period of time. Right, right. And then the final hammer to drop: the Raiders and John Gruden have traded Khalil Mack to the Chicago Bears. The Raiders netted the Bears' first-round picks in 2019 and 2020, and then the Bears turned around and signed Khalil Mack to a six-year, $141 million deal with $90 million guaranteed. Yeah, so, like I said, a short, short period of time, but the Bears really locked in their franchise cornerstone on the defensive side of the ball. I really think they got the offensive uh, side of the ball down with uh, Trubisky leading the way. Uh, the Bears might be even more dangerous now than they were before. Yeah, uh, if their offense um, takes a leap and you know comes into this century, as you know, you know, as we said before, John Fox was kind of running a antiquated offense. So if Nagy can come in there and juice up their offense, yeah, they might have enough on defense if they can get back to taking the ball away, creating sacks, and you know, getting defensive type of turnovers are creating short fields, you know, yeah, they could definitely be do some damage because they got the two running backs, still some question marks about their receivers. If their receivers can, you know, elevate their game, you're right. The Bears could be very dangerous. Definitely agree. So those are the list of guys that got paid. So with all this money floating around, of course, that means that the collective bargaining agreement is coming near. I think they're two years away. Um, so, you know, there may be some uh, labor discussions that don't go quite so good because you have to only consider that with their salary cap going up again, that the numbers are going to get, you know, in some cases, not necessarily quarterbacks, but let's say somebody decides to pay Le'Veon Bell, you know, he may exceed what Todd Gurley got when he gets his new deal from whomever decides to sign him. So there's a lot of, you know, new money floating around. A lot of guys are trying to get a lot of this money guaranteed now instead of just the big number of the contract. They want the big number guaranteed, and that's smart for them to play it that way. And some interesting news that dropped this week as well, Teddy Bridgewater, he got traded to the Saints from the Jets for a third-round pick. So this helps the Jets basically, you know, settle their quarterback uh, battle as they're going to go with Sam Darnold to be their starter on opening day. 
This allows Teddy Bridgewater to go somewhere where he'll be needed because, you know, the Saints are probably maybe two more years with Drew uh, Brees max. And then they'll have a guy, theoretically, that's 27 years old with playoff experience to be able to slide in and take over his position when that time comes. So um, your thoughts, Dwayne, on Teddy Bridgewater getting traded to the Saints and also Sam Darnold being the starter for the Jets. Uh, Sam Darnold is the starter, and I really like that move. I thought he would be the starter by opening day. And, you know, that just made Teddy Bridgewater expendable at this point. So there's no point in keeping someone that's good, though, you're going to send away. So... So it's kind of like, why do it? So, but back to Sam Darnold, though, uh, youngest starter in NFL history. I look forward to his first game. I look forward to a lot of his passes in the future. And we're going to just have to see how his future plays out. And some notable cuts. From the 52-man roster, as this was the last weekend for guys to make their final impressions and make these teams on for the uh, you know coaching staffs to be impressed, we had Davis Webb, two-year backup quarterback, who was thought to be maybe the future of the Giants. He got cut. And then we had Paxton Lynch, former first-round pick. He got cut by the Broncos. And Martavius Bryant. He got cut by the Raiders, and there's another drug policy suspension looming for Martavius Bryant. So that's probably the one that's the most unfortunate to me. It's just a guy who was probably going to get all the chances in the world because they cut Crabtree loose. He was going to get to be paired with Amari Cooper on the other side with Derek Carr, good young quarterback, and, you know, just – couldn't you know keep it in the you know keep it in the road keep it in the straight and narrow so you know his career may definitely be uh he may be over with in this thing because i don't know if he's as talented as josh gordon and has a team that's gonna stick behind him the way that the browns have stuck behind josh gordon i don't think so either i think just by showing that the raiders are cutting out i mean the raiders got rid of a very very once in a generation type of defensive player. So they had no problem cutting, um, you know, Martinez Bryant with this unfortunate situation. Um, probably one that stuck out to me in that way. Well, it didn't stick out. It wasn't a surprise. But um, uh, Paxton Lynch, it's kind of like, talk about wasting your first-round pick. You really thought this kid was going to, you know, be pretty good, but he you couldn't get by Trevor Simeon. If you can't get by Trevor Simeon, then maybe, you know, you might want to reevaluate your career. So Nah man, it was uh Trevor Simeon's in, in um in Minnesota now. It's uh Well, I'm talking about Tracy. I'm talking about the first oh, yeah, oh yeah, the first free yeah, the first yeah. time around. Well, yeah. I don't know. He was always gonna be a project coming, you know, from Memphis or whatever, but it's just unfortunate for him because Chad Kelly came on the scene and just basically took his spot. Yeah. So, you know, and they also picked up Kevin Hogan, the Broncos did, off of waivers, who I thought the Redskins should have kept and kept three quarterbacks just to keep him in, in the fold because now that's two guys that they've drafted kind of young, Nate Sedfield and Kevin Hogan, that they've kind of had in their camp and seen what they can do and then let go. And other teams scooped them up really quickly. 
You know, I don't know what the front office is doing. I know they like to keep two quarterbacks just because it allows them to have flexibility at other positions, offensive line, uh, running back this year, especially because, you know, Chris Thompson is an injury waiting to happen. And then we don't really know what Adrian Peterson is going to be, you know, this year. So uh, I still think that Kevin Hogan would have been a, a good choice to maybe look at for the quarterback of the future in a year or two. So. This is Know the Score. I'm Don DeLorente. I'm here with the Libra icon, Dwayne. And now we're going to get into some week one marquee matchups for the start of the NFL season. So, of course, Thursday night, we're going to start it off with the defending Super Bowl champions, Philadelphia Eagles, hosting the Atlanta Falcons. Of course, these two teams played that classic game that came down to the wire in the divisional playoff game. That Philadelphia won when Julio Jones couldn't find the ball or didn't catch the ball. So the big news coming into this game is that Carson Wentz is still not clear for contact, so he will not play. Nick Foles, who is recovering from an injury in the preseason, a shoulder strain in their second preseason game, has been named the starter. So give me some things to look out for in this game. Dwayne, you know, first game, of course, the Eagles are going to be all charged up. The Lombardi Trophy is going to be in the building. Uh, what do you look for? Is it going to be one of those typical Falcons are focused and blow them out? What do you think the energy in the crowd is going to help the Eagles start out 1-0? Um, it's going to be a toss-up. I think that both teams are going to be amped up. Uh, I think the Eagles are going to be motivated. The crowd's going to be excited. I finally get to see a banner. You know, fly at the length, uh, Super Bowl banner anyway. And, you know, like you said, Lombardi Trophy in the building. Um, and then celebration. But this is a team that has enough focus and enough, uh, enough, um, awareness to get through the pregame. And once they get through the pregame, it's going to be back to business. And I think, excuse me, um, and I think the Falcons, you know, the Falcons are going to be, and one thing I want to be looking out for is how Steve Sarkeesian utilizes Calvin Ridley. And, you know, you got literally a, Three-headed monster. Yeah, they're definitely going to be scary on offense if they can deploy other weapons, not to mention, you know, the dual uh, running backs in the backfield who are just as good at uh, receiving threats as they are running threats. So, yeah, Atlanta can definitely be explosive this year. I think their defense will probably take a, a rebound back as they kind of fell off a little bit last year. Just right. kind of, you know, Super Bowl lull or whatever. So, yeah. I think the Falcons are definitely going to be a team that's going to be really strong this year. Yeah. They're going to be a contender, you know, to go a long way when it comes to playoff time. Right. Agreed. And in that, um, you know, the Falcons are in a very highly competitive NFC South. That's going to be one of the huge storylines in that division. And I'm looking forward to it. I think the Eagles, though, uh, no, not many changes anyway from the Super Bowl team. I mean, they did lose their 
OC, but they still have their HC, Doug Peterson. And I think he outcoaches Dan Quinn and the Eagles get the W. All right. Next marquee matchup, the returning Deshaun Watson and the Houston Texans. They travel up to Foxborough to face the New England Patriots. So last year, uh, Deshaun Watson played the Patriots. He had, you know, a coming out party. A lot of people really opened their eyes to him. He was one of the few rookies to actually play against Belichick and actually have some stats that was, you know, worth actually writing home about. So they're going to be jazzed up. They're going to have their full defense, it looks like, out there. J.J. Watt, all their injured guys are going to be back. And then, of course, the Patriots are coming back. Um, this team is going to be a little bit different because they got a lot of questions at receiver. They've cut just about everybody they had in camp. <laughs> and and so we're going to be, you know, who can Tom Brady make into a household name this year? So your thoughts on who's going to win between the Texans and the Patriots? Okay. I got to say this is going to um, – I'm excited for Deshaun Watson's return. I'm excited for the Houston Texans to have a full complement on defense. And I think they'll hire out Tom Brady. It's going to be a tough one for Brady and Foxborough. Um, Edelman is out. I mean, you still have Bronx, but if you don't really have much around them, how we don't know how this chemistry is going to work. There's a lot of question marks there. And I think the wild card in this game will be. Um, the player Will Fuller. Uh, he was one of Deshaun Watson's favorite targets in the regular season. No, we did not. Like I said a few weeks ago, we did not hear from him again um, when Watson went down. So I look at this as uh, if the Texans stay healthy uh, throughout the game, I think they can do a lot of serious damage and pull off the upset in Foxborough. Yeah, I think the Texans are definitely going to be able to be one of the few teams who has a defensive line and a pass rush that goes for four quarters that can harass Tom Brady. Um, we don't know, you know, a lot of question marks on that Patriots offense as far as where they're going to generate the points from because they don't have the usual suspects that we've come to know uh, in the receiving core. So, yeah, if this is a game for Bill O'Brien to kind of get one up, on Bill Belichick, this is this would be the day right here because he's got you know I think he's got more bullets in the chamber than than Bill does right now. Right. A game that'll be pretty interesting to you, kind sir, as your Carolina Panthers travel down to Jerry World to take on the Cowboys. Skirt is reversed. They are coming to us. Uh oh, they're coming to. Okay, excuse me, they're coming up to <laughs> to take on the Panthers. So, yep. um. Cam Newton, new offense, new offensive coordinator. It looks like um, Christian McCaffrey is going to be a bigger part of the offense this year. Mm-hmm. Um, he's going to probably be more like a Danny Woodhead was with the Chargers when North Turner was there, if you can remember back to how he was kind of right. used as a dual threat runner and receiver. Yep. Uh, the Cowboys uh, basically have shut their offense down for the past three weeks, so this will be the first time that Zeke's really played any type of significant action any uh, first time Dax played any significant action in about three weeks or so. Mm-hmm. So be a lot of interesting um, questions about just how, how sharp they're going to be coming out of the gate, which is not a lot of reps underneath their belt. So Dwayne, give us, give me your thoughts on the, your Panthers against those Dallas Cowboys. Well, I would say this. I like the, 
Uh, one thing I'm going to be looking for is the Carolina defense versus the stout Dallas offensive line. Can Carolina stop the run? Can they? Can they make Dak throw the ball down the field? You know, Dak's like an inter. He likes to have that intermediate, uh, short kind of game. Can he? Can they make him throw uh, long? So one thing Carolina will have to do is set up a lot of third and long situations to force Dallas's hand to make some plays. I like the the Dallas offensive line dominates Carolina's defensive front. That's going to be a long day for the Panthers because um, uh, Zeke will run wild on on them. Now, on the offensive side of the ball, I'm going to be looking for the receiver. See the, if the speed actually does kill. Um, yeah, a lot of speedsters on this team. Torrey Smith, Jarris Wright, uh, Demir Bird, Christian McCaffrey, of course, and then you have uh, the guy who led the team in receiving, who's actually deceptively fast, Devin Funches, and of course, um, you know, Cam Newton can, will he um, continue to use his legs, play with reckless abandon, or will he be the pocket passer and the uh, 65-70% kind of passer that North Turner wants him to be, and he thinks he can be. I think there's going to be a lot of things to watch here. Uh, I think that, you know, not enough reps that's good for health-wise, but it might be not so good chemistry-wise because there wasn't a lot of missing weeks. So unless they did some reps in the offseason to kind of get that chemistry back, I wouldn't go with the Panthers on this one. Okay, yeah, I think this is going to be a very interesting game. Definitely the tale of both offenses. As you know, you really don't know what the Panthers are going to come out with. As you know, they're kind of learning a new offense, and then you're just not sure what Dallas is going to look like. Like you said, just because they just haven't played a lot together, and you know, offense is all about timing and chemistry and and all that. So you know, definitely see whoever can generate the most points might come down to a uh, you know who's got the better field goal kicker uh, in this game. You know, because I don't think a lot of touchdowns may not be scored just due to you know both offenses having question marks. Next, we'll move over to the Chiefs and the Chargers. So the Chiefs are coming out with a new quarterback, Patrick Mahomes, as they're the defending divisional champions. But, you know, a lot of people aren't talking about the Chiefs this year. They've undergone a lot of changes on offense and defense. And the Chargers, they're everybody's chic pick, pick to come out of the AFC West this year. They led the league in passing yards and receiving last year. But they were also down in a lot of games because they tend to start slow and had to catch up. So this is a game that could basically, you know, determine if there's going to be more than one playoff team coming out of the AFC West this year. What are your thoughts on who wins between the Chiefs and the Chargers? Is this game at Arrowhead or in the soccer stadium? I'm not sure, sir. I'll have to do a little researching for that. Go ahead and make your points, and then I'll I'll have the answer for you. Okay. So, with the uh – Chiefs here. I love the fact that with this offense and with Patrick Mahomes, they'll be able to get the ball down the field because we know Alex Smith can 
when he was there. I mean, we know Al Smith is uh, one of those the people I like to call Captain Checkdown. Um, so, but with Patrick Mahomes, you got you got a speedster and Tyree Kill who can streak up the field. You got another speedster with height and Sammy Watkins. You have Travis Kelsey as well. You have a lot of weapons here, and he has a great arm. So, really high on Patrick Mahomes. I think he's going to surprise a lot of folks. Uh, and it's going to be a shootout, I think, because of the Chargers. They have, like, I think they're going to pick up where they left off from last year. Phillip Rivers was phenomenal last year, especially in the second half of the season. Keenan Allen was amazing as well. And there's going to be a lot of fun to watch with these guys. And I'm looking forward to seeing, really, these, um, this, I guess, the lights to like, I'm looking for a lot of points in this game, pretty much. Well, I don't know because the Chargers have a pretty good defensive front, Joey Bosa. Um, and, uh, you know, going up there, putting a lot of pressure on the quarterback. And, you know, this is basically, you know, going to be my home's first start. He's going to be basically a rookie out here. Right. So, you know, I think if it was, a, you know, maybe by it being just the first game, it, he may get lucky and, you know, be able to find some cracks and some missed assignments. But I think they're going to put a lot of pressure on him, and it's going to be how well he handles that pass rush that the Chargers can generate, plus their secondary as well. The Chargers are really good on defense. I know a lot of people don't watch them because they come on so late or, you know, their games just aren't on just because, you know, they aren't really in the – a national type team, but their defense is really good. They are. I agree. The final game that I have as marquee matchup will be the San Francisco 49ers against the Minnesota Vikings. So, of course, Jimmy Garoppolo's coming in, you know, full-time starter. Hopefully he gets to play 16 games and we can see what he really can do. And the Kyle Shanahan offense, we got a good preview, but this is the whole sample size this season. And, of course, the Vikings coming in with Kirk Cousins as their new quarterback, trying to get one step farther than they did last year, which was the NFC Championship game. They think that Kirk Cousins will be able to put them over the top, an upgrade from Case Keenum. So, Dwayne, what should we look for in this game between the 49ers and the Vikings? Uh, let's look for – it's going to be interesting because you got two – you got two quarterbacks who can throw the ball down the field. You got two quarterbacks who can play, you know, a very, very good offensive game in a sense. And But I think the defense advantage goes to Minnesota. I want to see how Jimmy Garoppolo does in a, against a stout defense like the Vikings have. And I think that's going to be the big difference in this game. And I think if Kirk Cousins doesn't make any Kirk Cousins mistakes, then the Vikings should have a the Vikings should be able to take this one no problem. Uh, this game is going to come down to uh, how productive which team you know is in the red zone. Basically, if Kirk Cousins goes out there and they drive twenty to twenty, and the Vikings kick a lot of field goals, then I think the Forty ers may have a chance to win. 
because Kyle Shanahan is, I think, one of the best play callers in the red zone that there is. So that'll be the key, just how many times does Kirk Cousins drive them down the field and actually put the ball in the end zone. Minnesota is going to be highly successful in the season and in this game. And I think the 49ers, if they can control the game by running the ball, surprisingly, the Vikings were very good against the run all season until the very last game that they played in the NFC Championship game where the Eagles, you know, found some cracks and and got a lot of rushing yards against them. So if the 49ers can kind of find a way to maybe make those, uh, you know, open up those old wounds from the NFC Championship game, they may be able to just keep the ball away from the Vikings and uh, just make the m- most of their possessions and their scoring opportunities. Right. So I think this game is going to be really close. I think that's going to be one of the more entertaining games of the day just because, you know, both offenses and, and are pretty, you know, exciting. And they got some very good players. Of course, we're going to have um, Dalvin Cook coming back from the Vikings. So Kirk Cousins will have a legitimate running back and running game that he's never played with before. So that may just add – to his ability to do more things, you know, down the field as far as, you know, going down the field off play action. So, yeah, I'll definitely have one eye on this game for sure. And then uh, just for the host of this show, because, you know, it's our show, I'll right. throw in the, uh, the Washington football team versus the Cardinals. Um, I have nothing. I don't know what, what the Washington football team is going to look like. Uh, defensively, they haven't – they really didn't impress me against the Broncos. The running defense was really awful. Uh, the passing defense wasn't that much better. The offense in general hasn't really shown a lot of punch. Um, they haven't really played a lot together as an offensive unit. Trent Williams hasn't played at all as far as uh, offensive linemen go. So, uh, you know, we've had a tendency to – start slow and this is the one season that that really can't happen so it would be really cool to start out one and oh for once but i don't i don't know um patrick peterson is going to be a beast this year for the cardinals they're playing more of his own defense where he can kind of jump passes and read quarterbacks so um you know and alex smith isn't really got the strongest arm on throwing those out so you know patrick patterson may be uh you know pulling the d on on a pick six late in the game there so that's this is a scary opening game for me because Arizona's defense is good. We may be able to do some things against their offense just because they have weak quarterback play, but they still have David Johnson and Larry Fitzgerald. But their quarterback play is going to be, you know, subpar. So hopefully, crossing my fingers, we can take advantage of that. But, um, you know, Sam Bradford versus, you know, Alex Smith, I think Alex Smith is just a little bit better. I can, I can uh, agree with that. Uh, but uh, Steve Wills, Carolina disciple, um, in the sense of Jim Johnson disciple, will be a Sean McDermott. He's got that defense looking really, really good. I think if the Cardinals defense can anchor that, anchor that team and anchor that game, they'll come out with that W. Yeah, it's in Arizona as well. Uh, under Jay Gruden, the Washington football team hasn't necessarily played that well on the road, and they don't play very well against teams with really good defensive fronts. Check and check for the Cardinals. So, by all indications, it looks like uh, it'll be another season where the Washington football team begins 0-1. This is Know the Score. This week's show is being sponsored by Amazon.com. 
is getting close to the fall months. So, of course, Christmas shopping will soon begin. So please head over to Amazon.com through CSPN.us. Go to CSPN.us. Click on the tab that says keep our podcast free. When that menu box drops down, click on the very first tab. That's Amazon. Do all your shopping as you normally would, and it'll help keep another score free each and every week. So again, Amazon.com through CSPN.us. Do it today. So, Dwayne, we had the kickoff of the college football season as we had our preview episode come out last week, but then the games were played. And we had some very interesting, interesting outcomes as Maryland, much talked about for all things off the football field, scored an upset against number 23 Texas, 34-29. to So Tom Herman, he was a guru when he was in Houston, but uh, the seat's going to be a little bit hot if he keeps losing to unranked teams at Texas. Yes. Um, yeah, that was – and I remember when everybody pointed the finger at Charlie Strong. And so, <laughs> hook them horns. And uh, but this was a very out-of-year for Maryland, this um, whole game. I love the fact that I love the fact the players had the seventy nine flag for Jordan McNair. I love the fact that started the game with ten men on the field. I also love the fact Texas was aware of what they were doing and, you know, declined to delay a game penalty. Um and they just rallied around. I, I was watching this game and you know, it kinda close caught my eye because of the circumstances and everything and man like they played they played their hearts out and and it showed and you know they got the w um just a great all-around win and for uh mr herman um was this year three now uh year two two year two okay so yeah year two um, we'll just have to see how it plays out. Um, and it just shows that the pollsters thought high of Tom Herman, much like they and the poll and the with the polls at twenty three, and so getting a huge a victory like this not only helps Southern Maryland um, moving forward. I mean, they're it's gonna you know at least be satisfied to be. Want to know above five hundred, you know, for at least a week. So, shout out to Maryland. Um, rest in peace, Jordan McNair, and and uh, keep moving forward, keep fighting each and every week. The Auburn Tigers, they beat the Washington Huskies twenty one sixteen in Atlanta. So again, the SEC, you know, shows their dominance using strong defensive effort by Auburn. They had to hold on there at the end. Washington started to make some plays in the second half, made the game a little bit closer than it was in the first half. But, you know, Auburn, you know, showing that they may be, you know, the one team, if it's not Georgia, that really has a chance defensively to maybe stand up against this new Alabama team. Yeah, yeah, this is, um, I would say, the top three teams in the SEC are Alabama, Georgia, and Auburn. Auburn does have as much of a chance to knock off Alabama as anybody. And it's a rivalry game, and 
at the end of the season. And, you know, rivalries, anything can happen. So um, we just got to let the season play out. I hope both teams head into the Iron Bowl unbeaten with a chance to go when the SEC West go to the title game. And I would love to see how it plays out, you know, I think. I think it is um this team is very good defensively. Um and they showed it in this game on Saturday. Uh, I was smart to pick them. Ha ha. In the near shocker of the season openers, Penn State survives the upset bid from Appalachian State forty five to thirty eight in overtime. In Happy Valley. In Happy Valley, as almost 20 years, almost to the day since those boys went up there and beat Michigan, they almost pulled off an upset against Penn State. Penn State had to rally, score a touchdown to force overtime, and they had to stop uh, Appalachian State throw in the end zone to keep it from going to a second overtime. So uh, definitely a wake-up call for Penn State. They're ranked number 10 in the country. I know James Franklin probably in his, you know, if you ask him in the deep, dark recesses, of his mind is like really glad that they did play a game that scared his team like this because now he has their full attention going forward. Right. <laughs> man, oh man. That was um that was um very interesting and especially for somebody that was talking highly of Penn State, they go ahead and do this. This is the things I get. Thank you, Penn State. Um, we'll have to see each week is different. Each game is different. Uh, hopefully Penn State doesn't, you know, look, you know, look like frauds and they make me look bad in the process. So, you know, I got to worry about myself here. (laughs) (laughs) Notre Dame, they scored 24 points against that vaunted Michigan defense and their defense made the winning plays in the fourth quarter. To upset Michigan, twenty-four to seventeen. I don't know if it's an upset. Notre Dame is ranked a little bit higher than Michigan. It was at uh, Notre Dame, so maybe not an upset, but definitely a shocker because nobody saw uh, Notre Dame's quarterback being able to basically control the first half the way that he did, and they put up seventeen points before Michigan really got things going. Yeah, um, I, I this was the game I really try to just avoid because of the fact that, you know, me and Michigan don't <laughs> I, I I just I just didn't feel the hype with Michigan uh coming in anyway. And and then of course, you know, I'm not a real big fan of Notre Dame, especially Brian Kelly's Notre Dame. Uh, they've had a few good seasons but they've kinda tailored off a little bit, so this was kind of a statement win for for the Irish, you know, that, you know, hey, we're still here. Uh, kind of cools off Brian Kelly's hot seat a little bit. Uh, the expectations that Michigan has, it might turn the seat a little hotter on Jim Harbaugh. So uh, we're just going to see how Michigan goes forward. I think a lot of, I think a lot of people, in Ann Arbor, they're too focused on what's going on in Columbus more than what's going on week to week. And and um, 
that could be detrimental to the whole season. Yeah, Jim Harbaugh is about to figure out that it's good to try to use that John Calipari style of self-promotion and look at us and, hey, we're the coolest. But you got to win, and you got to win on the road, and you got to win against the teams that your fans care about winning against. And he's falling into a slippery slope where he's not doing that. And that's going to end up getting him fired more than having a bad record, per se. You know, he's going to go his 9-3 and three or whatever, you know, a respectable record, make a bowl. But because he's not beating Ohio State, Notre Dame, Michigan State, Wisconsin – and you know that's gonna get him in more trouble than anything. So, I think they I think they need to kind of you know buckle down. They they still have quarterback issues. I don't I didn't see anything from Shea Patterson in that game to let to make me think. Oh yeah, they got their quarterback situation figured out. So, you know I think that's gonna be an ongoing battle for Michigan all year. Just what they do at quarterback. Everything else though looks pretty good, but their defense definitely got shocked by uh, Notre Dame. They did. We'll move over to the number one team in the land. And why they were noteworthy is it looks like Alabama's got a quarterback, y'all. Like a real quarterback. Tua <laughs> Tagapalola was 12 of 16 for 227 yards, two touchdowns, no interceptions. And their, uh, their demolishment of Alabama, I don't even think that's a word. They demolished Alabama, uh, Louisville, excuse me, 51 of 14. Um, you know, we've never seen quarterbacking like this from an Alabama team that has you know, a long time. <laughs> this type of potency from that position. And it's just one game. And of course, Louisville's rebuilding from the teams that they've had with Lamar Jackson and all that success that they, uh, you know, found with him at quarterback. But just talk about your initial thoughts of seeing that stat line and the highlights and just some of the throws and plays that he was making and how scary this could be that Alabama legitimately may be able to score 35 points and not need defense and special teams to chip in. You know, the even scarier part about this is, is two is a sophomore, a true sophomore. So, so he's got at least one more year. And it's scary. It was very scary. Um, I do know, I think the turning point in that game was when he had that fumble, but it got called back because his arm hit the ground first and the ground caused the fumble. Louisville took it back for a touchdown. I think once they, once it was obvious, I mean, it was pretty obvious anyway, but when they overturned it, however, the, um, however, when this, when it comes down to it, you know, that just went downhill from there and the accuracy he has on his passes and the way he can get the ball down the field, picking defenses apart. He has great vision. Great feel for the game, and Alabama's. I mean, they're they've always been like the team to beat and the scary the scary pick. But they this is this is some monsters level stuff right now. So I'm, you know, Alabama's going to be a tough out, and that's why it's going to be even more interesting to see if Auburn's defense can handle that, especially when you know either. And if Tua struggles, then you got Jalen Hurts and vice versa. So, Yeah, it looks like they're going to run the kind of two-quarterback system here and there when they feel like it's needed. 
Jalen Hurts came in. I think it was like five for nine for like 70 yards, no touchdowns. But, you know, the game was well in hand by the time that he, you know, had a chance to play. So, you know, they weren't doing too much attacking with their passing game like they were when Tua started out. So it'll be interesting just to see how that plays out all season back and forth with those two guys. Right. And then our final marquee matchup in the college football opening weekend, the U, the Miami Hurricanes, got beat all upside the head and neck area by the LSU Tigers. Oh, my goodness. 33-17. to 17. It really wasn't that close. A couple of late touchdowns in the fourth quarter made it a little bit closer than that. Uh, LSU, man, they were – their defense was kind of defensive touchdown. Of course, they're running back. You know, they keep running backs. Running game was outstanding. The quarterback, uh, Barrow, yeah, he actually looks pretty decent. Looks like they might have somebody at quarterback at, at LSU. I was really impressed by LSU. Uh, I know you're a big fan of the U. Uh, they just didn't capitalize on the plays that were there. You know, they had a couple of drives, kicked field goals, missed a field goal, and the game got away from them. So, your thoughts on uh, the game between LSU and Miami? Heavy side. I don't know what's going on in the last four games uh, dating back to last season. It's just been terrible. I mean, I think if uh, anybody, you know, if anybody follows me on Twitter, the main thing I was like, how did, how did they get the eighth ranking in the country playing that poorly? Um, the run defense was awful. The pass defense was no better. Uh, Malik Rozier couldn't get anything going. I don't know what he was seeing. Uh, at first, it wasn't bad until that pick six happened. And then once the pick six happened, it was pretty much was a wrap from there. I kind of ended up going back to work and not even paying attention to the rest of the game. And so... Just a really bad, it was a bad game. It's just something that you got to have a short term. You got to have a short term memory. And just move on and forward. Maybe they can. I mean, they got a Savannah State uh, pay the check game, so uh, that should be a confidence booster. To get everybody's confidence bad to get them back to one on one. But just a very bad showing by Miami. Uh, very disappointing. He had a chance in front of a national audience on a Sunday night, all eyes on you, and, you know, you don't show up. So uh, the targeting penalty that happened early in the game, I think that was a turning point, too, because it was 3-3 at that point. And once the ejection happened, it kind of went downhill from there. Yeah, yeah, so... You know, those are some of the notable matchups that took place this past week in college football. Definitely good to see college football back in full swing. Very entertaining games. Uh, some of them not as close as you thought and some very surprising, you know, outcomes. Um, and I think that you're going to talk about one here in your uh, closing thoughts. So I'll turn it over to you for your final thoughts and shout outs. Well, shout out to all the listeners, first and foremost. Shout out to the CSP family. Shout out to Jesse Nabias. 
And and uh, of course, thank you again, Don. Have me as always. Um, final thought: Aggie pride and my alma mater, North Carolina A&T, for the third year in a row, beat a FBS opponent. They beat East Carolina twenty to twenty three Sunday afternoon. The game supposed to been played on Sunday or Saturday, but due to uh, lightning delays, uh, they ended up they ended up uh, postponing the game until tomorrow to the Sunday. And A and T back and forth game. Uh, Lamar Lamar Rayner ended up going out. Kylie Carter came in, threw two touchdown passes, and the Aggies fourteen straight wins. Um, Two and zero on the season, and and uh, one of my shout out to one of my good friends. Uh, shout out to Ty, um, co-host of the Rock Solid podcast. Um, he did say it was very interesting that Howard and Ant aren't on the schedule against each other this year for the Miat. Uh, that would be a very very great matchup, I think, especially with Kalen Newton and. And um, with that being said, it was just—it's a great, great time to be in Aggie right now. I definitely enjoyed after my undergrad, where they were in the darkest of times. So, seeing these guys flourish and seeing the program uh, under Rod Broadway and now Sam Washington just continue to excel and progress is very amazing. I just love the national attention that that my school is getting. All right. My shout-outs and thank yous will go to Dwayne, my co-host, to Jesse, to Jesse and Tobias as well, uh, to everybody here on CSPN who does all the hard work keeping the podcast network going each and every week. Um, my final thought will be about the Williams sisters as they faced off once again, maybe for the final time in a major uh, in the U.S. Open this past Friday, and not necessarily for the fact that Serena won and she's advancing on to the quarterfinals and another turn and a major tournament again it's just the fact that you know it's a time to reflect on just the greatness of these two sisters and from where they came from to where they are now and just a chance to maybe actually give Richard Williams a little nod as well as a guy who you know 25 years ago sounded like the ultimate crazy dad like I'm gonna take these two little black girls from Compton I'm gonna coach it myself and we're gonna take over the whole tennis world and everybody he was the bar ball for the bar ball. Right. Everybody thought that he was Looney Tunes, but guess what? He was smarter than all of us. And so, you know, it's just a time to reflect on just how great the Williams sisters are, how great they've been for the sport, how long of a career they've had in a in a sport, especially women's tennis that eats up, you know, their players and most of them are retired and out of the game by thirty or younger. So you know, it's just a time to reflect on just the greatness of the Williams sisters and the prophecy that their father had so many years ago and that, you know, he saw what we didn't see. And now, 20 years later, he looks like a genius. So on that note, for the Libra icon, I'm Don Delorente, and now you score.